Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, name for me your favorite beards in the, in the world out there of bearded faces. Uh, which, which ones call to you the most? You mean the wearer of it? No, I'm just saying like you... Of beards that you, I mean, I guess you, it's hard. How do you separate the wearer from the beard? How do you separate the beard from the bearded? I don't know. I'm staring at our producer right now, Noel, who has a wonderful beard. He does. It's a good beard. It's a, a friendly beard. beard. It's, it's a au courant. That was an awful pronunciation. A very current. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good, it's a solid beard. Yeah. But you know, one of my favorite beards of all time, mm-hmm. Aubrey de Grey. Yes. We, we, this is the biogerontologist. Yes, he has a straight, yeah, straight up wizard beard, a long beard yeah. that you look at it and you're like, this is a man with, with wisdom. This is a man, um, of experience that I can trust to help me live forever. Yeah, and you know what? I, I kind of had wondered, you know, I think I made the comment before in another episode when we were discussing some of his ideas about living forever. Um, uh, you know, there was this idea of, well, if he shaved his beard, would he look 20 years old or would he look 120? I don't know. There's that much facial hair going on. Yeah, and off the top of my head, I don't know how old he is either, so we can't even factor that into it. No, but after sort of looking at some of this research, I have a new view of Aubrey de Grey that I will discuss later on in the podcast because I don't want to give anything away. Okay. Um, it, it, it's interesting. You sent this... Um this infographic uh, around the, the trustworthiness of beards. It ranks all these varying degrees of beards from uh, from the, the very trustworthy to the disastrous. And there's there's like a dozen of them on here. And uh, on the far end of the very trustworthy scale, we have like two the two beards that are closest to the end. One basically looks like Noel's beard, and the other one looks like Aubrey de Grey's beard. If you go on the other end of the spectrum, then you have to encounter... Uh, a, a Hitler mustache and uh, a pencil thin mustache, a la Ooh. John Waters. I was about to say the pencil thin always says villain to me. Yeah, or John Waters. I don't think of John Waters as a villain. Yeah, well, I think a benevolent villain. I think yeah. he would he would term himself that. You know, possibly, possibly. He's a provocateur. Oh, but also uh, funny on this uh, particular infographic is that the um, the uh, the Hitler mustache and the John Waters mustache, uh, right below that, is a full werewolf. So. I'm glad that hypertrichosis made the list. Yeah. Yeah. I um and I tell you one beard uh, there's so many great beards out there. Um so many great beards from science history alone, which uh, I'm hoping we'll do a a little uh, gallery to to go with this online. Now, I have to mention before we launch into beards and we really look at the science behind them um that I feel like in part we should owe this episode to your own facial hair. Yes. Oh, the, the sideburns. Yeah, the sideburns. Yeah, yeah. You've got nice chops there. Yeah. Well, this, uh, they go from the sideburn level to the chop level. Which uh, I was I was looking at where those rank on this particular trustworthiness of uh, of beards, and certainly the chops that uh, the chops are a little more in the neutral zone, uh, whereas the uh, the sideburns are are a little more towards the trustworthy side. So if I can actually you know, go by anything that this infographic has to say about the matter. Well, uh, just as a side note, you have a great 
photo gallery of oh, yes. the sideburns of science. The sideburns of science. So yeah, I'm thinking we'll do one about beards as well to, to, to go with this episode. Sure, we might as well. Uh, one beard that I, that I am seeing a lot of recently because I'm watching, um, the current season of Mad Men is, uh, the actor who plays the character Stan, uh, J.R. Ferguson has this huge beard. I don't know if you're up to that point. Oh yeah. Yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so He's I. the illustrator, right? Yeah, the illustrator. Massive beard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was looking up, uh, I found an interview with him and he says that when he, uh, after he came in, um, you know, ready to do the show, grew out this beard for, that they wanted him to have for the season. It, he said it was actually a bit too much. It was like a cross between Jeremiah Johnson and uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway, and they actually <laughs> had to trim it down to its uh, to the state that you see it in on that. Wow, so. so so virile was his beard. Yeah, yeah. They had to tame it back. Uh, you know, what's interesting about that, and we'll get into this, is that as a character, he he uh, usually says some pretty loudish things, like loudish, like, um, you know, he says some inappropriate things, yeah. sexually charged. Mm-hmm. Now, clean shaven, super creepy. But the beard, <laughs> I actually think, softens that a bit. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Because, yeah, he's, he's a far more lovable character with the beard. Well, also, you see a little bit more character development of him, I feel, as the, as the show progresses. So you know him a little better by the True. time he has the beard. But yeah, like earlier on, you're like, who is this? This guy, this guy's kind of awful. And now you're like, this is one of the better gentlemen in the office. Clearly. Yeah, you're right. This guy's got personality. Yeah, and he, I guess, is the only, I can't think of any of the other characters that current, that are currently on the show that have a beard, so. No, but there is a lot of, uh, facial hair going on, for yeah. sure. Now, uh, let's, uh, look back here in the time machine at ancient Greece, where the beard was big, right? Mm-hmm. It was a sign of virility, and it was an advertisement that you were not a eunuch. Yes. Because presumably, or this was the thought actually, that if you were a eunuch, you wouldn't have the ability, would not have the hormones to produce the, the massive, glorious beards right. of and, your wisdom. And certainly, in in olden days, uh, in various societies, this was there were enough eunuchs around that this was actually uh, something to think about. There was actually a, a fair number of eunuchs playing varying roles in society, sometimes very important roles. Um, which uh, reminds me, we do need to do an episode on Unix one day because the the history of Unix and uh, and some of the science of Unix is is really um, really fascinating. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, go back to the Greeks. The Greeks loved them at least uh, until uh, Alexander the Great came along and he said, actually, we don't need beards. We need to shave these beards off if we're going into combat because somebody could grab me by my beard and start slicing at my face. Exactly. And I imagine that uh, at some point, too, if you are in a situation where you don't have access to clean water and so on and so forth, that that little beard could get quite it could infested. Get foul, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly we've been shaving beards for a while. Um, I mean, we well... Before we were shaving beards, uh, presumably we were in, you know, there were situations where one would pluck out, uh, the, the facial hair, uh, especially if you, if you weren't, say, capable of growing like a full beard anyway. Maybe mm-hmm. you just decided to, to go clean cut on it and, uh, you would be, you would have to, to pluck at the hairs or find out some other method. But we have found archaeological evidence dating back to 100,000 BCE of individuals shaving their beards, uh, clearly with some sort of, uh, flint instruments. So, you know, the first razors, if you will. Indeed. Um, it should not go unnoted that bearded ladies make appearances throughout history. Yes. Right? Um, I wanted to point out that some of this is due to something called hirsutism, which is a variant of hypertrichosis, also known as the werewolf syndrome, when there's an abnormal amount of hair growth on the body. Uh, though with hirsutism, it's usually due to increased levels of androgens or male hormones. Now, bearded ladies would show up in sideshow acts in the circus, right? Mm-hmm. 
or freak shows as they were called, most of the time those weren't actually ladies. They were just dudes that put on a little, with beards that put on a little makeup and... A dress. Hmm. Yeah. But that's been going on since Shakespeare's time, right? Oh, yeah. No ladies on the stage. Um, I also wanted to point out the cultural significance of the term beard, which is also slang for um, a person who is a cover for a gay friend or partner. Yes, and apparently sometimes, too, it would be a, a cover for somebody who's having an affair yeah, in a, um, a mixed-gender uh, situation True. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I would say that, the mo- actually, I've heard it more used as uh, a way to sort of negate someone's homosexuality yeah, in public. I, I feel like that's the usage that <laughs> sticks with us more these days. Yeah, it's sort of this idea that you could give this heteronorm appearance yeah. of a couple uh, knowing that one of them was gay, the other was not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I think it's fascinating because the term, again, when you're talking about heteronorms, you talk about masculinity. And in the, the instance where there is a, a male who is gay who is with a woman, she, the beard, gives him masculinity. Yeah. I'm not saying that she gives him real masculinity. I'm saying that from society's perspective, she's imbuing him with this power. Yeah. It, it always makes me, anytime I, I hear the term beard used in, in those uh, scenarios, it makes me think of uh, Monty Python's uh, The Life of Brian, uh, where there's a scene where uh, some, some, someone's going to be stoned to death uh, in punishment for uh, some sort of infraction, and um, and only the men are allowed to come and witness this. But only the women are, <laughs> are really interested in attending it, so they're all buying these fake beards from a vendor uh, outside the stoning area. And, uh, and they're all you know, there to participate. I love that bit because mm-hmm. on so many different levels, I think it's a commentary yeah, on society. It is. It's a, some wonderful commentary thrown in uh, to, to what is still a very silly sketch, but, uh, but that's Python for you. All right. Well, uh, let's talk a bit about the evolution of the beard and, and the sort of power, as I said, uh, that is imbued by this mass of facial hair. So needless to say, the beard grows on the face and, um, it's really interesting when you start thinking about the face. What is the human face, right? Because certainly uh, it is a bunch of skull meat. It is uh, it, it's a place where we keep our eyes and our nose and our mouth. So it's it's kind of this uh, front-loaded sensory array that allows us to take in the sense world around us. But then it is also something a bit more, too. It is also a communications array. Now, all of this is complicated by the fact that, of course, we end up thinking of our face as ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I am my face to a certain extent, or at least my face is an expression of who I am. Or you're saying that some people allow how they look to color their personality. Well, people end up augmenting their face in mm-hmm. vi- to varying degrees, and the varying degrees may include... Um, Growing a beard, it may mean wearing makeup, it may mean piercings, it may mean tattoos, it may mean cosmetic surgery. All of these things are, are done because we see the, the face as an expression of who we are. But then the, the but then it's also tied in with the fact that the the face is a means of communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we make expressions. There are uh, what seven primary expressions, and then various um, micro expressions that mm-hmm. uh, appear for just you know fractions of a second. As those we, are my favorite. By those the way. are some of the best. Yeah, that allow you to g- gain some insight into what's going on, what emotions are we feeling, what emotions are we covering, and uh, there was actually a 2008 a Czech study that found that facial expressions alone can speak a thousand words. So. We get into this idea of, of the, the the face is not just 
you know, who we are, but, mm-hmm. but uh, a, a means of communicating with other members of our society. And, uh, and so there, there was another study that I found that, that plays into this, and this is a 2012 study from a team of UCLA biologists, and they started thinking about the evolution of the human face and the evolution of the primate face and, and how does facial diversity um, factor into all of this. So they looked at 129 different adult male primates from Central and South America. And uh, the study included this great wheel, that, that uh, graph that had mm-hmm. all these different uh, monkey faces on it, and they ranged uh, pretty wildly. There is, you know, there there are some very conservative-looking monkey faces that is just like, oh, well, that is that is a monkey. If you saw a picture of it, you'd be like, well, look at that monkey. There right. it is. And then others are, you know, like crazy, mus- red-faced, mustachioed, you know, crazy eyebrow, like you know, crazy monkey pictures. Blue streak skin. Yeah, like very like punk rock monk- monkeys. Mm-hmm. And so you would look at these, and if you look at these, thinking. Um, all right, some of these monkeys are going to be more solitary than others, and some are going to be a little more society-driven, a little more uh, you know, social and prone to live in, in packs and small groups. Um, and, and so what is the, the correlation between facial complexity uh, and, uh, and, and social activity? As it turns out, the crazier the face on the primates in this study, the more solitary the monkey, whereas the plainer-faced monkeys mm-hmm. were more uh, likely to live in, in some sort of a, a, a close-knit uh, society in and in, in a group of some sort. And so the theory here is that since our face is a communications array, since our face is a means of communicating with other members of our species, mm-hmm. the plainer the face is, the better the communication system. It's in a large community. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. you know, this is the poster that I'm going to use, or you know, this is the billboard I'm going to use to communicate with people. And the more graffiti I have on it, the more you know, if I have drapes up on it and all sorts of crazy stuff, it's it's getting in the way of my ability to use that to communicate. The the clear so the the, the crazy faces they're standing out on their own because they don't have to, uh, to to use this. But the plainer faced monkeys they're using this as a communication system and it's like a uh, like a satellite dish. If you want to pick up a signal, you want to have it cleaned off. You don't want to have a bunch of brush on it and, mm-hmm. and drying clothes and what have you. Yeah, it makes total sense because if you are in a large community and you've got to read each other's facial expressions, then the plainer the face, the easier to read. But if you are just hanging out with one or two people, not a big deal. You can put on as much of the the makeup, exactly nature's makeup as possible. Um, I do think it's really interesting in the human context because conservative estimates say that um, communication is perceived by, up, I think, upwards of 60% of nonverbal cues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it would make sense that whatever is crossing your face is really going to inform another person about how you feel. And particularly when you blush. I just looked at some research on blushing, and it turns out that the way that uh, our vision is constructed, the cones in our eyes, mm-hmm. they think, uh, scientists and researchers think, that it was constructed in a way that we could really see the variances in skin color in humans so that we could perceive things like blushing as a subtle way of saying, oh, this, you know, the person um, across from me feels ashamed about this or regretful mm-hmm. for doing something. And again, this plays into this idea of nonverbal cues letting us know what is truly going on between uh, humans. So what does all this have to do with facial hair? Well, if you dress up this canvas mm-hmm. that you display your emotions, uh, you are certainly trying to say something with your beard, or, or rather there are some subconscious things going on with the beard. Well, to a certain extent, you're growing a mask. You're growing this thing out of your face that covers up, uh, you know, at least like half your face. It's, so it's it's 
it, it can be used as a means of masking what you're actually feeling. Well, and I, I like this idea of uh, putting on a mask of power, too. Right? Yes. And if you uh, look at the writings of Barnaby J. Dixon, he's a postdoctoral researcher in the Evolution and Ecology Research Center at the University of New South Wales. He has a lot to say on this topic. Um, he's has a couple of different studies out right now. And in fact, if you go to his website, he's Dixon with a S, by the way, D-I-X-S-O-N. Does he himself have a beard? Yes. <laughs> if you go to his website, not only will you see his glorious beard, which is um, united with a mustache, by the way, you will also be able to participate in a couple of online studies and see some images of people with beards or men with beards and men without beards and uh, go through the process of rating them on their attractiveness. So, let me get back to, to Barnaby, though. Uh, in the paper published in Behavioral Ecology, quote, beards augment perceptions of men's age, social status, and aggressiveness, but not attractiveness. Uh, Dixon and Paul L. Vasey take a look at the power and structure vis-a-vis a beard. And in the abstract, he says, or they say, Darwin posited that beards evolved in human ancestors via female choice as a highly attractive masculine adornment. This was Darwin's theory. Yes, this yes. is they're saying, you know, Darwin put this out there. Who himself had a big beard later in life, uh, after earlier in life having some oh, yeah. cool sideburns. Glorious beard. Uh, but they go on to say that they think it's not necessarily um, an element of attractiveness here. It's more of power. And he said that they show that women from two very different ethnic groups, a group of women um, that are Europeans from New Zealand and Polynesian women from Samoa, they don't rate bearded faces as more attractive than clean-shaven faces. In fact, women from both of those groups judge bearded faces to be older and ascribe them higher social status than men who are clean-shaven. Yeah, I mean, of course, one of the things with all this, you have to take into account all the human complexity of any of this. You know, if you're in a society where the beard is more important and more established, and eh, well, you know, that's going to that's gonna weigh, weigh in on things. Uh, but but most of the the the, uh, the the studies that we were looking at here, they were, we were seeing that the the beard has a stronger role in intrasexual signaling than in any kind of female mate preferences. In, in other words, guys, you're growing that beard because you have something to say to the other guys, not because yes. not, or you know you may you may think otherwise, but ultimately your beard is speaking to the other men. Well, and what's interesting about the Polynesian women and the women from New Zealand is that they then saw that men who were acting aggressively with beards were deemed to be more aggressive than the clean-shaven brethren. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea, again, that it's a sort, a sort of suiting up, a manning up, and again, assuming a power role. And if you look at a paper by D. Carolyn Blanchard, which was published in Behavioral Neuroscience, um, you begin to see the animal world being pulled in in the form of lions and their manes. Yeah, yeah. Now, this was an interesting study that you came across. And the idea here, the theory here is that, all right, so why does a lion have a mane? Because it looks cool, because it sends a signal, or does the lion have the mane because all of this extra hair protects some some uh, some very important parts of the uh, the neck and face? True, and she says that lions with prominent manes um, are like uh, men with beards with the ideas that both begin to grow facial hair at puberty. Both the mane and the beard help to single out gender in a crowd. And um, yes, the, the beard, like the mane, would give the wearer a more imposing silhouette and serve to blunt any attacks. Yeah, because one thing you have to, to think about here, too, if, if this theory 
uh, holds up, you have to think about uh, the way humans have, have evolved. Um, what are our natural weapons? Our natural weapons are fists. Mm-hmm. The first things we're using to hurt each other, uh, you know, aside from, you know, the, the odd bite and maybe, you know, you know, at some point, someone realized, "Hey, we can kick things too." But for the most part, we our hands have evolved to punch people in the face. Uh, I did a, a blog and a video about this a while back, and the idea is that when you make a fist, and and certainly we are the only species that makes fists and punches uh, other members of our species, uh, or if you're you know, Liam Neeson, maybe a wolf with your with your fist. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you make a fist, it's uh, you know certainly you can hurt your hand uh, still when you uh, you know make contact, but uh, it, it's structured so. That that uh, you're actually protecting a lot of the more uh, fragile uh, parts of the hand, the, the, the bones and muscles, when when you ball up. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that that we evolve, we've evolved over time to use these as weapons. So in the course of evolution, too, it makes a certain amount of sense that uh, we might uh, also develop uh, some sort of protective uh, feature against people punching us in the face. And then later in early uh, developments, uh, clearly some of our first weapons are going to be blunt instrument weapons as well before we eventually get to where we're creating spears and swords and axes and, uh, you know, on up to our modern weaponry. Okay, so a lion who is being attacked, the other lion Mm -hmm. uh, who is uh, attacking the the lion with a magnificent mane would get a mouthful of hair, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be a little bit harder to get to the throat region. So... If you're talking about humans then striking each other on the chin, then you've got the beard that kind of buffers the impact of that, right? Right. And, of course, uh, they didn't really go into it much in the study, but humans today are not above biting into a foe, so... I can, or an ear, right? Or an ear, yeah. yeah. So I can only imagine that would have played a part as well. Indeed, I'm sure. And actually, Blanchard brings up something called the glass chin phenomenon. She says mm-hmm. it's well-known in boxing, and direct blows to the front and sides of the neck, as well as the area just under the nose, can be particularly lethal. And that both are particular targets of attack and unarmed combat techniques, and that this is a protective feature of human beards, and that, this is interesting, the technical and competition rules of the International Amateur Boxing Associ- Association prohibit beards in boxing matches. Hmm. So I'm assuming that's to level the playing field, right? I guess, because then, you know, otherwise someone with a particularly great beard is going to be that much more protected. Now, you don't see those rules, uh, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in mixed martial arts, because you do see bearded individuals partaking in combat there. I guess I'm mainly thinking of... Uh, uh, I only know older dudes, but like uh, well, like Dan Severn, he had an awesome mustache. I don't know that wasn't really protecting the jaw and neck, but uh, but it seems like there were a few other bearded guys that were uh, throwing down. Well, no, I'm just thinking about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, of course, quite the he was quite the wrestler, and he had the beard going on for sure. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, professional <laughs> wrestler, but uh, but he had a great beard. Um, you know, and it also ties in kind of interestingly with. Uh, some other studies we're looking at where the, the theory was, too, that a, a large beard and also large eyebrows contribute to yes. the way that the, the, the face is perceived. They make the, the jaw uh, look stronger and mm-hmm. more intimidating. Um, and, uh, and, and when you couple that with a brow, I can't help but think, like, what if Peter Gallagher... Uh, the actor um, who already had like amazing uh, eyebrows. Yeah. What if he had ever grown a beard? Because I did a quick Google search and I never found an image of him with a beard. So I think missed opportunity. He could have been the ultimate alpha male. Well, but maybe he's doing that just for everybody's benefit. I it mean, could be. I bet that every time he furrows his brow, that the the earth trembles. Right. So if he were to grow a beard, it could be catastrophic. It could be. Someone set him down once. Said Peter. You have amazing eyebrows, and uh, you must promise, you must swear a blood oath never to grow a beard. 
All right, let's take a break. And when we get back, we are going to discuss why Billy Mays' beard made him the success that he was. All right, we're back. And, uh, yeah, we said we were going to talk about Billy Mays, the um, infomercial superstar. The pitch man. The pitch man. Yeah. Um, a huge beard. I mean, glossy black beard. The fullest beard I think I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Not wizardy, really. Not like long, but very, very thick and prominent, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was a pitch man uh, for a bunch of different household cleaners. And I think that his beard contributed to his success. And this is why a 2010 study in the Journal of Marketing Communications found that men with beards were deemed more credible than those who were clean shaven. And the study showed participant pictures of men endorsing certain products. Now, the products were kind of key to whether or not there was any correlation of increased trust. So it turns out that men with beards had grade, were seen as having greater expertise and more trustworthy when they were hawking things like cell phones and toothpaste. Okay, hmm. so they, they were doing much better than the clean-shaven guys in that area, but not tidy whities Huh. Okay. Uh, participants preferred clean-shaven men when it came to underwear. Hmm. Uh, I was thinking perhaps it's subconscious, the association of, you know, a lot of hair with underwear. And I know we're getting into Merkin territory here, but um, that might have something to do with it. You know, ne- I've never thought about this before, about who do I prefer selling me underwear. Um, I guess I would prefer someone without a beard, um, but but not so much. I mean, I guess it comes down to, if, if are you talking about like an underwear model or a, just an underwear pitchman? And is the pitchman wearing uh, um, underwear himself? I think himself? that they were talking about the pitchman as the model. Okay, well, I would, I guess I... Or may, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Well, I'm, I took maybe I'm that. just more attracted to beardless guys because I would I would want to be sold my underwear by, you know, a beardless underwear model. But a man with a beard who is selling the underwear, but on the package, there was a clean-shaven man. And now remember, the clean-shaven... Well, why is the bearded man there at all? Is he the other underwear model's father? He's, he's or? in a department store. He has a stack of underwear. Mm-hmm. And he uh, is next to the clean-shaven pitchman. They're both trying to sell you underwear. Well, I don't know. Now that's just a tough decision. I- I'm going to go with the clean-shaven because I still stand by that. I think it's something subconscious about a lot of hair hmm. and underwear yeah. and the nether regions. Hmm. Well, you may have something there. Somebody needs to do a study. All right. And clearly, there, there are enough people researching beards and what beards mean. That there's got to be room out there and some available funding. Let's get out of this uncomfortable territory and into beards and how they can contribute to one's health. Yes. Now, this is pretty awesome. This uh, this is some relatively new uh, uh, info that we have to work with here. 2012 study, uh, French study, and... They had a, a, an interesting theory here. All right. So we're growing these beards, and, and we've talked about how the, the beard, of course, may provide some amount of protection against uh, punches to the face, uh, how the beard may um, mask our ability to communicate uh, via our, our facial features with mm-hmm. other members of our uh, of our species. Make us a little more aggressive than yeah. we actually may be. But then to what, if, uh, to what degree could they possibly be shielding us from harmful UV rays? So this study decided to test it out. So what they what did they do? They went and they bought uh, three mannequin heads, uh, put them out in the sun. Uh, on one of them, they just left it beardless. Mm-hmm. On the other, they gave it a, a short beard, you know, a, a mild beard. And then the other one, they gave it a long beard. Big, long, thick beard mm-hmm. uh, to see 
how these uh, mannequins are affected by the UV rays uh, based on their level of facial hair. And they found that beards block 90 to 95 percent of UV UV rays. Yes. Okay, so of course that would reduce your exposure to those rays and decrease your chances of uh, having skin cancer. Yeah. So a huge health benefit, right? Yeah, and certainly uh, it brings me back to the you know Tom Hanks in Castaway. You know, yeah. Suddenly he's getting baked by the sun, and growing that beard was probably his only real choice at the time. But he, you know, it worked out for the best because it probably gave him just a leg, a little leg up on uh, avoiding uh, skin cancer. Yeah. So I mean, you can see how this would be a protective cover yeah. throughout the ages, right? Yeah. If you're you're making your uh, your life on the beach, out in the sun, maybe you should grow a beard. Maybe that would help because yeah. Think about it. Uh, you think of like pictures you've seen of, uh, particularly I'm thinking of uh, like snowboarders and the like. You know, they'll have uh, have the big beard and then they'll have the big goggles and then the hat. And that's basically it. All you have to do is worry about the nose. And if you were to wear, say, a, a pair of, uh, you know, Groucho Marx glasses or Humpty Hump glasses on top of that, you would have complete coverage. <laughs> and wow, what an image you would be projecting. Yeah, you'd yeah. be pretty fabulous, especially if you went with the Humpty Hump uh, um uh, nose and, uh, you know, glasses uh, instead. You know, I was thinking about this study in the mannequin heads, and I was thinking about them in a field, and I immediately began to imagine, uh, instead of body farms, mm-hmm. we would have these mannequin head farms with various <laughs> growth patterns of facial hair on them, and how disturbing that might be to walk huh. up upon and say, oh. Well, you know, I've been uh, I've been watching heads. the new uh, Hannibal Lecter TV show, mm-hmm. which... Um, there are things I really like about it. Um, I think that the acting is great. I think the look of the show is great. I'm I'm less into some of the writing and the monster of the week scenario that they have. So each episode seems to have to have a new crazy inventive serial killer. Yeah, they're going to eventually start running to start running out of ideas though. So I think this could be one a killer who's who is inspired by this survey. Uh, I mean, the study, and uh, finds uh, the heads of clean-shaved, mildly bearded, and uh, super bearded men, and then cuts their heads off and leaves them out in the field. Oh, like a researcher who is like, you know, it's not enough to see what, you know, a, a chemically-based uh, substance mm-hmm. would absorb in terms of the sun's UV rays. I want the real thing. Yeah. I don't want any polymer in, in the subject. And so, therefore, I'm going to take this study to the, you know, the nth degree in terms of, I was going to say integrity. Yeah, and, and also this but not really integrity. This would be a great mad scientist too, because we're used to models of mad scientists where they they get into uh, morally ambiguous uh, territory, they, or they start using uh, human test subjects. Uh, but but generally they're, they're trying to go for something big. But you know this would be a great one because it's this is some low hanging fruit. There's really no reason to go cut the heads off of people for it. But hey, they're mad. That's what they do. Yeah, and if you, uh, for some reason, if maybe you skipped ahead in the podcast and you just got to this part, this first, is just first an of all, imaginary. Stop doing that. Why are you yeah. listening to podcasts that way? That's not. You're not going to get yeah, the full <laughs> spectrum there of information. Uh, but yeah, this this is just an imaginary circumstance here. Yeah, but no, nobody is cutting off heads to really see what the UV absorption exactly. level is. But if you uh, if you look up any of the articles about this study, you do get to see a picture of these three mannequin heads with their beards out in the middle of a sunny field, and it's. Uh, it's, it's a little creepy. All right. Well, researchers Barnaby J. Dixon, our friend that we mentioned before, and Robert C. Brooks photographed 10 men at four stages of beard growth. We're talking about clean-shaven, five-day light stubble, 10-day mm-hmm. heavy stubble, and then fully bearded. 
Okay, then they took 351 women and 177 men, had them view photos and rate each face for attractiveness, masculinity, health, and parenting ability. Huh. Here's the deal. Women ranked heavily stubbled faces as the most attractive. Really? So just that just that level of uh, I'm sort of growing a beard. I th- they think it's really sexy, but they don't know how itchy it actually is. I think maybe it's where it's it's full enough, not quite a full grown beard, but uh, grown out enough where it starts to soften. That's okay. what I'm going to guess. Because that doesn't that also, yeah, because also it isn't like really scratchy. Yeah, it's like it, a Brillo pad. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, it seems like it's bad for everyone. It's going to scratch the the, the the woman's face, and then the, the man is itching like crazy and thinking, why am I trying to grow a beard again? This is why I shave every couple of days. Although I'm sure for women there, there are some exfoliation Benefits. Um, okay, so participants said that the clean-shaven men, the participants meaning the men and the women, mm-hmm. uh, thought the clean-shaven men looked about as healthy and attractive as those with a full beard, but they rated the bearded men higher for perceived parenting skills. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was fascinating. Uh, light stubble got the shaft. like On parent? Yeah, uh, just in general. Oh, okay. So if you've got some light stubble, um, you got the short end of the stick here. And when I say light stubble, that's that five-day growth, not quite there, kind of spotty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, low scores across the board. Just makes you look kind of shady, yeah. Exactly. Like, are you hungover? Are you, what are you doing here? Is there, are you homeless? Uh, well, although homeless beards can mm-hmm. grow to a great volume. So anyway, those are the results of that particular study. Interesting. Um yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it, it gets so complicated when you th- start thinking of beards as the, you know, just from, from a purely biological standpoint and then from a cultural standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then when we factor other things on top of it, because sometimes people will grow a beard as, again, part of that idea that I am changing or I want to change who I am and I'm going to make an, an outward show of this uh, and somehow tell the world that I'm doing something. You know, like, uh, like somebody will go through, uh, you know, like a bad breakup, and then maybe they'll shave their head or they'll grow out a beard, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so so it, it gets complicated with humans. Well, know. it's just Samson and Delilah, right? Didn't Samson, no, the, yeah, uh, beard was his strength. Right. When when he was clean-shaven, it was gone. Well, and that goes into some very old ideas. I was looking, I was reading in uh, Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable about uh, beards, and, um, you know, in various cultures there are all sorts of sayings about, like, you know, if you take, grab somebody by the beard, it's like the ultimate uh, insult. And certainly if you if you cut someone's beard, then it's just the, just an enormous affront in, uh, in, in varying uh, beard-heavy cultures. Yeah. All right, so just as a, as a little uh, mental abstract here, think about Zach Galifianakis. If he were to shave his beard, mm-hmm. how would you perceive some of his characters who have been childlike? Uh, would that get into creepy territory, or is it, I mean, does the beard kind of help to negate some of the weirdness of those mm-hmm. characters? Yeah, I mean, it's such a part of his look. It's, it's. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of him without it. Right, I was thinking that too. Yeah, but it, but I I think maybe it does. It does contribute to the the act. Um, if you were to shave his beard off, I don't know how I would take it. I mean, also some, um, you know, some faces just work better with a beard. I, I think that's it goes without saying. True. Uh, this is one other little tidbit that I found that I thought was really interesting, and it is that uh, some men who grow out a beard or a mustache are surprised that their facial hair is ginger colored. Uh, huh. They're surprised yeah. if they're not redheaded, right? And uh, that is because facial hair allows expression of the normally recessive genes for red hair and very red skin. 
Interesting. So huh. it can pop up in those areas of your face, but not on your head. Well, and then, of course, it, a lot of times it'll grow out gray uh, when you don't, <laughs> when That's the top true. of the head isn't really doing that. And <laughs> it then, will reveal your secrets. Yeah, and then the rare individual will have uh, the blonde beard, which uh, I've always found kind of fascinating. Because in a, in, a, in a way, it's almost invisible at first. I think of that as a very California beard. Yeah. Yeah. There was a dude in my high school, I don't remember his name, but this is a high school, and he had like a full blonde beard. It was very impressive. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so here's some interesting research for you guys to ponder out there. Mm-hmm. But just to be clear, this is not a free pass to grow a uh, Gangs of New York-style handlebar mustache. Well, you know, that's, that's going mean, to be pretty could. trendy in some areas. I mean, you walk could. into you know Brooklyn with that and you fit right in. I just feel like that's best left to Daniel Day-Lewis. Well. Although you're right, some people, I, I you know, I'm sorry, I should probably not... Uh, Tell someone not to do that. Well, the thing about it's mu- just a very specific <laughs> choice. Well, the mustache is an, is an interesting bit of facial hair because it, it really almost seems like there's you got to take it on a case by case situation. There are people who grow a mustache and you're like, that was absolutely the right call, right. or they shave off their mustache and you're you're like, that is wrong, grow it back, um, Jimmy Buffett, because you just don't look <laughs> right without it. Um, so uh, yeah, it's really got to be a case by case. It's true. Perhaps it's just my. Uh, Association with Bill the Butcher. Yeah. Like, if I see that mustache, I think there's a bit of menace to it. Yeah, it's a menacing mustache, for yeah. sure. Um, all right, so there you go. Um, I, I can't help but think, though, about some animals with facial hair, and I mm-hmm. was thinking that Grumpy Cat would totally sport a Hulk Hogan. What do you think? A Hulk Hogan beard? Yeah. Which, which well, one? Well, a mustache. The mustache? Mm-hmm. The well, see, down. he, for a while, and maybe he still has this, uh, he had the blonde mustache, and then, but then he had stubble. Uh, a stubble yeah. beard that was dyed black, so it was it was a uh, you know the, the combo diabolical. Well, there's also an older image uh, I found of him once where he uh, and this is when he had a different moniker I think, but um, he had a, he was not waxing his chest, and he but he, he did have a heart shaved into his chest, so hairy chest except for the shape of a heart. Oh, that is the <laughs> ultimate act of hyper masculinity right there <laughs> right like i have such a hairy chest that i can now actually assume some femininity here in mm-hmm. my expression of emotions yeah via a heart yeah well, beautiful the, well there are a lot of there are a lot of interesting manscaping choices uh, in the world of pro wrestling i tell you a beard we didn't mention have you seen the hunger games movie i have uh you know the west bentley beard that he has in that with all the flames yes. and curls that yeah. one is uh that one's one to think about i'm not sure where i stand on that i guess it's the future so all right. Well, uh, there you go. There's a, a little insight into the science of the beard. Uh, there are a lot of cool studies out there, and we highlighted some of the more interesting ones, uh, we think. Uh, but uh, if you come across anything, let us know. There's always new science brewing, uh, growing to the surface. And uh, and also, we'd love to hear your thoughts about beards in your life, uh, your own beard, if you have one. How do you feel it alters the um, the value proposition of, of you, the human? How does it uh, alter your uh, interactions with those around you? Or if you are, you are not bearded, or even if you are, then, then, then how do you uh, take in the beards in your life or in popular media or in fiction? Uh, what are some of the best beards? What are some of the worst? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know. You can find us uh, all over the place. Our main website, of course, is StuffToBlowYourMind.com. But we're on Facebook where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. We're also Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Tumblr. We are Blow the Mind on Twitter. And on YouTube, uh, our channel is Mind Stuff Show. And if you want to tell us a little story about how you are perceived with or without a beard, if you've had the experience of both, you can always send us a note 
at blowthemind.discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank <laughs> you.